What's up, party people? How we doing? You know, I'll tell you what. If you're not alive after that with worship and that moment, that encouraging word from Pastor Craig, man, you, you genuinely might need to check your pulse. Like, for real. For real. Um, I don't even know. How do I even start this, man, after that? I just feel like I can just like, all right, we pray and go home now. Um, my name is Carson. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us, you are in the, the, I guess, the tail end of a series we have been in for the last 13 weeks on Romans. And we have been going chapter by chapter, week by week, learning and being encouraged by the words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And I hope you guys are ready because at the very beginning of this, we learned a lot about sin. We learned a lot about how we just, we just missed the mark. We, we learned a lot about how we just need to lean into who God is for us. And we need to have to just let go of some stuff. And then we learn some fancy words like justification, right? Look at your neighbor and say, justification. justification. That's right, energy behind it. Because you've been justified, not by anything that you did, but by what God says you are and who you will be. And then we start to learn about this powerful word called sanctification. Lots, lots of, like, excision, like the, the last T-I-O-Ns, a lot of those in Romans. And sanctification, acting out, walking out, continually in the process of getting better by how God is going to keep moving in our lives. And now we get to my favorite part of Romans application. Well, we can take all this stuff, all this theology, all this wonderful, amazing, great things that Paul has taught us, and actually make it something we can tangibly do in life. And so to kick this off, I have to ask, did anybody enjoy high school science? A few people. Okay. For some of the people that raised their hands, I feel like you and I are kindred spirits for what I'm about to talk about. So I enjoyed science class because for me, my best friend Andrew, Will, and Mike, we had the best time because we didn't listen to anything the teacher said. We waited for lab day. Lab day was the day for us because that meant we got to use beakers. We got to play with fire. We got to mix things together. It was awesome. And so every time we walk in and the beakers would be lined up, we were like, it's our time. Like we lean in and we're ready. And we were just so encouraged. And so every single time we had lab, our teacher would pull us aside, and he looked right at me. I think he thought I was the troublemaker, but it was really more those guys. I was just the one that got picked out, right? And he looked at me and he said, hey, here's what we need to do. We're going to make something today. I'm going to show you exactly how it's going to get made. It's not going to catch fire. It's not going to explode. It should not even get on anybody else. So please, whatever you do, just repeat all the steps that I'm giving you. And we looked at him and we're like, yes, sir, we got this. Yes. First thing we do, we get that green liquid, that blue liquid. He says, one ounce of green liquid. We poured the entire container of green liquid in and it blew up. There were multiple times that he would look over and he'd be looking, everything would be fine and he'd see and we'd be like, the, the whole beaker would just be on fire and we'd just be, I don't know. And he's screaming at us because we were just making stuff happen, man. As a kid, that's what we all wanted. We just wanted to all take all the different stuff and pour it together and make this magic concoction that worked. And it never seemed to come out the exact way that the teacher said. So obviously we failed every single lab, but we learned something in the process that if you don't follow the instructions completely, if you're off just by a little bit, then you will not get the results that you were looking for. And it's the same way in our faith. Our faith is so intricate and unique. How to become saved and step into a relationship with Jesus is easy, but then when you say yes, that's when it's time to go to work. 
That's when it's time to put this faith into action. That's when it's time to take something that will transform you forever. Oswald Chambers said it this way, if you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you. God's experiments always succeed. God has never made a mistake. You're not a mistake. Your family's not a mistake. Your spouse is not a mistake. No matter what you said, nothing is a mistake in your life. You were made by a God who made you perfectly for a reason and for a time such as this. And the sooner we realize that we were not called to be mistakes, we were called to be transformed into something greater, then we can start living out the experiment that God has for us. Now, when we start this and we look at Romans chapter 12, he kicks off the idea of transformation. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't confirm, man, words, that worship so hidden me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul uses this word transformed because he is trying to make a huge point to the church in Rome and to people that were Jewish that were learning about this life and this resurrection story that Jesus lived. Quick little history lesson. Y'all ready for a little history? A little Jewish history? All right, cool. So the Jewish people, when they would go to bring their sacrifice to the altar, what they would do is they would go into the temple, they would get a sacrifice, they would kill that sacrifice, they would lay it upon the altar, it would be dead, and that would atone for the sins. Now, Jesus steps in, he changes everything, and he says, hey, no longer are you going to bring this dead thing. I am going to step in as a living sacrifice and change the world, and then you're going to be able to have a relationship with me. And so now what I require is that you be transformed and that your life be a living sacrifice. And this is where the change comes in and why Paul is so impactful with these words is because what he is trying to convince us is the idea that we are no longer dead, but we are alive. And when we say yes to Jesus and we say yes to all these changes, we are being asked to put everything on the altar. Your past, your present, your future, your family, the things you don't want to talk about, the things that you're struggling with, the things you think you're doing well at, all of it, be on the altar. And that sounds great, and we feel like we're in it, and we're all for it. And then God starts handing us the recipe, like my, his, like my science teacher did. Add just a little bit of the green liquid. But that green liquid is actually us saying that we have to be kinder to the people that have wronged us in the past. And so we see that, that formation. We see God asking us to, to live a life that's transformed, and we do this. We go, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to be on the altar. Because when we were dead, we stayed on the altar. But now as a living sacrifice, we like to hop on and off. We don't like to stay on the altar. We don't like to stay committed. And that's where we find ourselves running to our own solutions, our own ways of getting things figured out, instead of trusting that God has laid the world out. He's got you too. He's got you through every season, every addiction, every chain, whatever you came in here with, everything you've been struggling with in your family, whatever it is, he is going to see you through it. I promise you. But you have to stay on the altar. You have to keep trusting him and trusting the process he has you in. Ultimately, the best version of yourself will come from submitting to God's control of your life. If you've been running this thing called your life by yourself in the driver's seat, how well has it turned out for you? Genuinely, how well has it turned out? Maybe it seems great, but if you start peeling back all the layers, it feels kind of empty. But I promise you, if you stay on the altar and you embrace the changes that Jesus has for you, it will not only change your life, it will change the lives of the people around you. And it will be a change that sticks, and it won't fail because God's never failed. Not once, not ever. 
So there's some things we have to do to embrace this transformation. The first thing is we need to embrace the Christo method. The Christo method. Now, not the Crisco method for all you people that grew up, you know, making a whole lot of Paula Deen food, right? Not the Crisco method. The Christo method. The Christo method. It's not vegan. It's not keto. It's Christo. Come on, man. Like, that was an easy, that was the easiest of easy laughs I could get. Okay, it's fine. We'll move on. The Christo method, essentially, when you break down the word Christo, it's an anointing. Anointed method, anointed life. For someone that is, now you don't know what anointed means, it's simply this. It means there is a calling on your life. There is something in your life that God has called you to do, to live out a purpose, and he is asking you to step into it and own it like it's yours. Right now, you've been called. Maybe you have the ability to speak into situations that you don't even know. You're just like, the words just come to me. Maybe you're the person that people come to to vent and hear wisdom. Maybe you have the ability to write and read well. Maybe you're the person that can understand things mechanically. Maybe you have a a knack for something that other people don't. Pastor Craig talked about this last week when we talked about looking at our story and getting frustrated because we, we see our story, we see our book, and we look at the things we have and we go, oh, I don't want that. And we look at the people next to us in our life. And we get upset because they're calling what they're doing is what we need to do. We say that, oh, I need to be doing this. I should be doing this. Instead of embracing where God has you. There's a verse in your note about the body working together. And I think a lot of us, when we get frustrated about our calling, is we get frustrated because we really want to be the mouth or we want to be the ears, but God's calling us to be an elbow. Man, we want the platform. We want to be the feet, Jesus. Let me be the feet. I need, you to, I need you to be an eyebrow. I don't, I don't want to do that. Jesus, I've got these ideas, these thoughts. I'm ready. I'm ready to be your hands. I need you to be knees. I need you to step into where I have you and what I have you going through because somebody else is going to need to hear what you're going through at some point. Somebody else is going to need to be inspired by you. And if you're the only one that's going to run away from your calling and look at others, then you're not only saying no to what I've put you in, you're also saying that you don't like other people. Because what happens is if we look at other people and we think, oh, we're just, you know, we're just jealous of their calling, that jealousy turns into self-idolatry, it turns into self-centered religion, and it turns into us actually being the people that we say, oh, we don't hang out with those people or those kind of Christians. Because we're so excited about serving Jesus only if it's the way we want to serve him. As a kid, I loved the Rocky movies because I loved the transformation through the five films as Sylvester Stallone just got pumped, man. Dude got shredded ripped. First one, we kind of looked a little bit the same. Third movie, when he went against, you know, Mr. T, uh uh-uh, dude, was like straight out of iron, like just all in. And a lot of us, we need to go back and we need to start putting the things that God has in front of us to the test and start working out those muscles instead of just being so focused on the things we think we're really good at. Embrace being the elbow. Embrace being the knees because I promise you, it's not always great being the mouth. It's not always great being the eyes. It's not always great being the hands. Because if you don't realize the importance of an elbow or a knee, if you don't have an elbow, you can't pick anybody up. And if you don't have knees, you don't have the ability to be humble. And we need that. We need people who are willing to pick other people up, even if they say the world has given up on them, when their family's given up on them, we need people that are willing to say, I'm going to pick you up, even when the world says don't. So embrace that. The other part about the Christo method is it allows us to really realize who's in control of the way things turn out. Because when we start stepping in and we hit storms or we hit seasons where we want to hop off the altar because we don't like what God's pouring and mixing up, is we, we start to see all of it and we say, well, we can handle it better. 
we got this. We, we can do it. I, I got this. I, God, I know you're the master of the universe, the creator of everything, and you got, but let me take a chance. Let me, let me, let me tag in. I got this. And so when we hit situations in life, we add more blessing, more prayer. We start to see things and we start to step into what we think we're doing because we take back the control. And then we get frustrated when we think God has abandoned us. We think he's left us and he doesn't care about us. And what it really is is that you're trying everything. You're following all the steps, but you missed the very beginning. So anybody ever gone on the internet and found like a, a recipe and then tried to recreate it? Anybody? A few people. So I was on Instagram, and I was on this health kick, and I wanted to make cookies because I have an issue with sweets. You can look at me and say I have an issue with sweets. It's okay. I'm working through it. Um, but I found these cookies on Instagram that were like 100% protein and peanut butter, and they had chocolate chips in them. So I was down. And so there's a picture of them on the screen, and I was, I was all in. So I found them on Instagram. I started looking through them. Don't those look delicious? Yeah. I mean, that, looks, that is a huge helping of peanut butter. I love it. So I was like, I got this. So I found it, and I did the whole thing. I watched the video five times. I wrote down as much as I could, and then I screenshotted every single second I could to get all the images of all the different ways to measure it out. And then I went to the store. I bought all the ingredients. My wife was like, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. This is going to work out great. Yep. Um, work out. That's foreshadowing for all y'all. I went in, and I got all the ingredients. I came back home. I followed the recipe to the T. It didn't look like that at all. It wasn't even solid. It was a mixture of like oatmeal with blueberries and Haagen-Dazs on top. It did not look good. It didn't even solidify. I couldn't get it into the cookie form. And so my wife was like, you eat that? And I was like, oh, well, obviously I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to let you win. I got to eat this. It was awful. It was so bad. It was like if you could eat asphalt, like if you could actually pull concrete up and eat it, like, oh, it was not good. The chocolate chips lost their, their, their sweetness. The peanut butter was just like dirt. It was like, oh, this is so bad. And I, could, I didn't understand. I was like, I followed the recipe. I bought all the ingredients. I did everything right. But at the very beginning of the video, the guy says, hey, if you don't have a scale, you need a scale to measure all these ingredients out. I converted the measurements. I did everything right. But the step one, starting with the very first thing, I jumped right over and a lot of us, were running in our faith, we're running in our calling, but man, you are missing the fact that the first step was saying, God, I'm on the altar, this is yours. My family, my faith, my religion, my money, my kids, everything I got is yours. That is step one. So if you feel like the blessings aren't falling, go back to the scale and step on the way that God wants you to and look at where he has you. Stop asking him for more things and start going back to the beginning. Stop measuring God's portions by your recipe. It's not the way your grandmother taught you. It's not the way that your parents taught you. It's not a religion that you learned in church. It's a relationship with God, and it's not about our way. It's about Yahweh. Now, see, that's a joke and a zinger at the same time, so you got to kind of bring those together. But it's always been about God. It's always started with a relationship with him, and that control, when you release that, it allows you to embrace the life he has for you. And God's got this. The one thing I have learned in my very short time on this earth is that through every season, God has still been the same God. And all the times it got way harder was when I got back off the altar and grabbed hold of everything and said, I'm not letting go. And what God is saying in those moments is, man, lean back. Because you can't carry it, but I can. The blessings always taste better when they are prepared by the right chef. I'll say that for those in the back. The blessings always taste better 
when they are prepared by the right chef. So once you start embracing this method and you really start to see that God has you where you need to be, he is asking you to accept the calling now. It may change later, but the calling right now, and then to start actually exercising that, those, those muscles by letting go of the control. And then we have to learn how to stop posing and stop praising. Stop posing and start praising. There's this beautiful block of scripture that we're going to go through, and we're going to go through it in sections, but... Paul is trying to encourage this church in Rome that the time to be the false Christian is over. It's the same thing that's echoed here. If you are a Christian by your Facebook, your Instagram handle, that you use everything you can to be here and you step out and drop everything at the door, God doesn't want your poses. He wants your praise. He does not want the falseness of what you've created through the avatars of your life. He wants your soul. It doesn't matter how dark and how hurt it is. He wants you. And he's tired of all of us trying to act like we've got this thing figured out and walking around like Judas's instead of walking around like Jesus emulators. We cannot do it because even Judas in that moment in the garden said, you know what, I'm going to kiss Jesus because I'm going to signify that he's the one that needs to be taken away. And too many times we are holding on to a faith that we don't even believe in because we think we should instead of going and having a relationship with this guy named Jesus. And I know that's harsh, but I'm in it too. We're all in it. We are struggling to be, to be authentic and real. And let's start it. Romans 12, 9 through 15. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Put the mask away. God made you every single thing he knows you. You can't surprise him. You can't scare him. God's not scared of his kids. He loves them. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. This whole passage is so important because Paul does something for the first time in Romans that he hasn't done. He said the word love a lot, but for the first time in this whole book, this whole letter, he finally uses a different word for love. See, in the English language, we just have love. I say, I love Chick-fil-A, and I love my spouse. And when I say them, and I know, no, they're totally different, but it's the same word. When the Greek is translated from what the Jewish people were speaking in, all, in that ancient time, there were four different ways. There was eros, erotic love. There was storge, this familial love. There was filio, brotherly love, this brother and sister relationship love, and then this love, agape love. Love that is different. Love that is godly. Love that says, doesn't matter how hurt you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if everyone has given up on you. I'm not giving up. I see you for the best version of yourself. It's a way to look at this world through God's eyes. It's a way to be generous that has no end. It's a way to be truthful and loving in the same breath, a way that's merciful, that speaks joy and peace and kindness into situations. And Paul uses this because he is trying to get the people in Rome to understand that if you're not using the right love, then you may be speaking it over, but you're not actually putting any respect behind it. In the English language, we have this struggle because we use love for everything, right? Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, my spouse, all that, right? But when we speak things out, our brain is rewired and it starts to believe and categorize those things as the same thing. It's not anything you did wrong. It's just how our brains are wired. It's how the English language works against us. 
But if you are not careful, you will, still, you will feel like, oh, yeah, I love my spouse more than I love Chick-fil-A. But your brain is saying, but you value them as the same thing. And God is trying to speak through Paul by saying, you have got to start loving this world more than you love the, the, the nice things of this world. You got to love this world more than all the things that make you happy and snuggly in Chick-fil-A. You have to. Because if you don't, then what will happen is you will start to look at this world and you will have that same feeling I have most of the time when I go to Chick-fil-A to order my chicken. And I don't have a whole lot of joy coming out of my mouth when I'm waiting that long in line. It's not love. It's something else. And we have that moment because our brains have been rewired to think that love is just this uniform thing and it's not. Love for this world and love for the way God loves his kids is unique because it never ends. It also talks about being boiling hot. And this is something that I think all of us struggle with because we all start off in a faith journey with God, whether you were saved as a kid, you're still trying to figure it out, you've been walking with the Lord forever. It's hard to keep that fire, that passion you had. And it stops because we stopped serving this world. Think about it. When we're on fire for Jesus, we meet this guy. Man, I'm telling everybody I know, I'm ready to, to sing it to the mountaintops about how awesome this guy named Jesus is. And then we get knocked down a couple of times. People tell us to stop talking. We get people say, well, I don't want to hear about it. Or they challenge our faith. And that boiling hot fire we had for Jesus starts to fade. You want it back, start serving this world. And I'm not just talking about serving here. I'm talking about going out here, saying hi to somebody you don't know, saying hi to somebody that doesn't look like you. Go serve in a community that doesn't look like yours. Hey, just do this. Say hi to your neighbors. I didn't know my neighbors till two years ago. Literally been in the same house for over a decade because I was so afraid of creating those relationships. But you gotta start somewhere. This world is never gonna see the life of Jesus until you show it to him. And hey, guess what? Somebody served you once so you could meet him. Somebody did. So just if it's something where it's like, I don't feel comfortable, guess what? Someone wasn't comfortable when they came up to you. Story after story of people here at South Point and around this community being changed because they just didn't give up on their community and on others. So don't give up. Man, do not give up on this community and don't give up on the faith and the power you have and the calling you have. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. And eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. I think the beginning of this, we kind of get with, well, we rejoice, right? We're happy when good things happen for people. We, you know, we like to struggle when things happen. But we get a little, a little sideways, I think, when we're not doing real well and we're told to rejoice. And you may be thinking, oh, I don't do that. I like everything somebody puts on Facebook. I even do the love or care emoji. Okay, cool. So for like seven years, I drove a car that was four different colors. I named it C-3PO because it had one red fender. Um, and for those that know Star Wars, I appreciate that. Um, I drove it. Man, I drove it everywhere. And it, didn't, it didn't, like, did not fail. Every week, one of my friends on Facebook, I'm so blessed I got my brand new car. I'm so excited. Thank you guys for all the hard, hard work pays off. Hashtag goals. Hashtag made it. 
I can tell you I was not rejoicing when I pressed that like button. I was like, yeah, you enjoy it. Well, I'm looking at C3 people saying, Lord, please start today. Start today. Because when we are faced with actually being kind to people and being genuine with people, it's really tough to do on the outside when we have to be face-to-face. Because we still get a little sideways about the fact that, well, if God, why isn't God blessing me? Why isn't God doing this? Because maybe you need to look back and see that the blessings are always there. You just are not focused enough on how he has given them to you. And the other part of it that I think helps us is it helps us learn that when someone gets through a toxic relationship or they get through something tough in their life, they don't need someone to step in there and say, you know, well, I told you this and I said this. No, just weep with them. Just be there with them. Because we get all sideways because we think judgment and vengeance and righteousness is our right hand. And no, no, it is God's. And none of you are God. None of you are Jesus. None of you are the Holy Spirit. So leave the judgment to the Father in heaven and start loving this world a little bit different. And I know that seems intense and it seems like I'm picking. I'm not. I'm right there with you. Because we've got to stop looking at this world and saying, oh. And start looking at this world and going, all right. Because the little things, rejoicing for people in the little wins, rejoicing with your family in, the, in the, the baby steps, whether it's overcoming addiction, bad relationship, whatever, it will bring you to a point when someone does have a mountaintop moment in their life, you rejoice and it's so different. Over a year ago, we had a student that came to the ministry and he was definitely one of our challenging students. He's fantastic. And kept pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. And every week we'd be like, all right, man, come on, let's... Let's have a sidebar. Let's talk for a minute. We can't do that, right? And he said, I really want to go on this summer trip. I really want to go. Can I go? I said, absolutely, man, you can go. And I'm thinking, we're about to take this kid to a mountaintop. This is, Lord, don't let him jump. Don't let him do anything crazy. Don't let him start a fire. Please, no bears. Like, I'm just, like, running through it. But me and the team, we never gave up. We kept praying and praying and praying that, hey, God's going to move. God's going to change. We're going to rejoice when we're going to weep with him. And in that mountaintop moment, in the moment where everything was still and quiet away from the noise, he said yes to Jesus. And that's awesome. That's something to be excited about. That's something to cheer for. That is a win upon wins. But if you give up at the first day because they hit somebody and they, didn't, they weren't supposed to, or they got in and they said something that you weren't expecting them to say, or maybe just maybe you stepped into their world and saw how traumatic their life was, if you give up in that moment, how are you going to see the win at the end? So rejoice. Weep. Leave the judgment to God and just be in the moment with each other. Romans chapter 12 is the the application of how we can be transformed on the altar and talk to one another. How we can survive this life. Because God wants all his kids to come home, even the ones that haven't figured out they're his yet. He wants all of us to come home. He doesn't want any of us stranded in foster care of the world. He wants us all connected. So it's time to start stepping into that. And what better than to have a big brother and a big sister to say, you're not alone. Let me, let me listen. Let me, let me speak with you. Let me just celebrate with you. So on your note sheets, there's this thing called the praise list. And this is a challenge that I started a few years ago, and it's something I'm encouraging you guys to do maybe today, this week, this month, whatever it is. That person or those people or those situations where you're like, they don't deserve prayer because it's not going to work. They don't deserve praise because... I, I, I'm just, I'm jealous. Let's be honest, it happens. I'm frustrated, whatever it may be. Write their names down. Meet them in their need. Rejoice with them if they want rejoicing. Weep with them if they weep. But be there with them and be authentic with them. Don't cast them down. Pray for them. Actively pray for them. 
And if you meet them, man, this is how God, how good God is. God will, man, he'll move it around and maybe you just maybe like, I'll never see them. And then they pop up. There's your chance to change everything in just a moment. Pray for them. Praise for them. Because we need to do that for one another just as much as we say we do it for those that are already connected to the Father. Y'all good this morning? We all right? We good? All right. After we do all this, when we step on the altar and God starts to make life change and we begin that living sacrifice, we embrace the method of, of how Christ has got an anointing on your life. Start being authentic. Start praising. Start living it. Stop posing it for Instagram. And then it's time to pursue peace. It's time to pursue peace. Every single letter that Paul wrote, he was trying to encourage every single church differently. The church in Galatia was different from the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was different from the church in Ephesus. They were all different. And writing this letter to Rome, this is like writing a letter to New York City. This is the, the known center of the world. This is where everything matters here. And so Paul is very quick. He has a lot of ideas and thoughts. And a lot of it's about unity. A lot about his transformation. But he's really speaking into a culture that is missing something so amazing that it will radically change everything for them. A quick little history lesson about Rome. Rome was not at all a peaceful place. It was full of ups and downs. They had changes in people that led, whether it was the Senate or an emperor or the army. They were constantly taking people over. They were constantly acquiring new territory and bringing in different ideas and different thought processes. They were hostile, especially if you were not a Roman citizen. If you were not a Roman citizen, if you didn't bear the flag and the pride of Rome, you were an outcast, you were an exile, you were less than. They were opinionated. Imagine that, the known world, the big city, they were opinionated about a lot of stuff on how to live, how to eat, how to worship. And if you break down what Rome was, it was a lot like America. A lot of feelings. A lot of, I'm holding on to this, and I, this is me and where I'm from, and I'm holding on to it, and it's the only thing that defines me. And it's a lot like America because I think in the moments when we are really honest, we pursue a lot of things, whether it's success, whether it's family stability, whether it's just our own ideas, a lot more than we pursue peace. There's a lot of people that watch NASCAR, but there's a lot more people that watch it because of the wrecks. There's a lot of people that watch a lot of different sports, but they watch it for all the different things that happen on the sidelines, all the arguments. We like all the commotion. It's just the way that our culture and our nature has pushed us to not hold on to anything true because everything changes. And so Paul is writing and he breaks through the noise and he says, hey, I want you to do something that nobody in this culture is going to get. And I want you to seek peace with everybody. Not just the people that have been adopted by Rome, not just the Roman citizens, not just the people that hate Christians, not just the Christians, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, not just the pagans. Hey, I want you to pursue peace with everybody in every situation. Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all. It is underlined, bolded, and italicized because I'm telling you, what is the all to you? What is the all? Because the all should be everything you've got, everything you have in your power, everything the Holy Spirit gives you in power to seek peace 
in every situation, with every person. And it doesn't say to force that peace on them. It says, do all that you can. During worship, we gave you guys an opportunity for anyone that wanted to respond for things they were carrying on to. And I know, because I've been there. I'm not going down to the cross. I'm not going to Jesus. I'm still going to hold on to this a little longer. That's fine. You can hold it as long as you want. And people are still going to speak peace. They are still going to say, you don't have to have this anxiety. You don't have to have this depression. You don't have to have this hurts, these hangups, anything that you're carrying. And I'm going to keep speaking peace. And I'm going to keep telling about this guy named Jesus. And I'm going to keep saying that he's worth it. And that you don't have to be what you've been. You don't have to be what you're going to be. You can be a life of a living sacrifice that has changed forever. But I'm going to keep speaking that peace. We know plenty of people that they, we speak that peace all day long and they choose the other. That's why it's up to God to do what he does and for us to speak peace. We speak peace over every situation. And I promise you, through fear, fickleness, anxiety, whatever it is, you will never be able to find a peace like Jesus Christ. There is not a single thing on this planet that can replace him. And so in that moment, if you're the constant person speaking peace into somebody's life, into somebody's situation, at some point they're going to need it. And they're going to say, you know what? Tell me more. I don't want to carry it anymore. And that is the moment. We can't force people to accept peace, but we can still pursue Jesus and pour that on his people. If you are pursuing Jesus, then you will pour out his peace onto his people. It starts with getting on the altar and staying there. And remembering that when you say yes to this guy named Jesus, your salvation is secured. You got a, you got a pass, baby. You are going up. You are good. But there's more to this life, and it takes the step of saying, you know what? I'm going to learn more from this guy named Jesus. I'm not going to conform to this world. I'm not going to live up to everything the culture is saying. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. Embrace the life of a nonconformist and accept the anointing that God has placed on you. And when you do that, you will step into an experiment that will not just change your life, but it will change every single life that you come in contact with. And then through your life, you will echo what Jesus has said through all of eternity, that there's hope. There is hope. Can I pray with you where you are? God, I love you, and I thank you that you gave us peace. And I thank you that you called us all to such a time as this. We have been anointed and called in a season to do some great things. And so right now, God, I ask that you just let us step into it. Own it. And whatever we came in here with, whether we came down to the cross, whether we stood in our seats, whether we're still holding on to it, man, let it go, God. Help us let it go. Help us realize that we can carry the weight of the world on our shoulders or we can give it to the one that made the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you have provided everything for us. Help us all be that living sacrifice. Help us let go of what our version of the world is and say yes to a hope that is echoing through eternity and is never changing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Uh, we've got people down front that want to pray with you and for you. So if you still want to talk to them, you're more than welcome. We also have community elements down front. It's going to be a great week. Fill out those prayers lists, those praise lists. You want to do it. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to say the benediction jet on out and live transformed. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great.
Let's say the benediction together. Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. Go radiate hope. Amen.